Chapter 2 of The Wonderful History of Peter Schlemiel, The Man Who Lost His Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mihai Borobocha. The Wonderful History of Peter Schlemiel, The Man Who Lost His Shadow, by Adelbert von Chamiso. Translated by Frederick Henry Hedge. Chapter 2 At length I came to myself and hastened to quit the place where I had nothing more to expect. In the first place I filled my pockets with gold. Then I secured the strings of the purse fast round my neck and concealed the purse itself in my bosom. I passed unobserved out of the park, reached the highway and took the road to the city. As, sunk in thought, I approached the gate, I heard a cry behind me. Young gentleman, a uh, young gentleman, hear you? I looked round. An old woman called after me. Do take care, sir. You have lost your shadow. Thank you, good mother. I threw her a gold piece for her well-meant intelligence and stopped under the trees. At the city gate... I was compelled to hear again from the sentinel, where has the gentleman left his shadow? And immediately again from some women, alas, the poor fellow has no shadow. That began to irritate me, and I became especially careful not to walk in the sun. This could not, however, be accomplished everywhere. For instance, over the broad street which I next must approach, actually as mischief would have it at the very moment that the boys came out of school a little rogue i see him yet spied out instantly that i had no shadow he proclaimed the fact with a loud outcry to the whole assembled literary street youth of the suburb who began forthwith to criticize me and to pelt me with mud decent people are accustomed to take their shadow with them when they go into the sunshine to defend myself from them, I threw whole handfuls of gold amongst them and sprang into a hackney coach which some compassionate soul procured for me. As soon as I found myself alone in the rolling carriage, I began to weep bitterly. The presentiment must already have arisen in me that, far as gold on earth transcends in estimation, merit and virtue, so much higher than gold itself is the shadow valued. And as I had earlier sacrificed wealth to conscience, I had now thrown away the shadow for mere gold. What in the world could and would become of me? I was again greatly annoyed as the carriage stopped before my old inn. I was horrified at the bare idea of entering that wretched loft. I ordered my things to be brought down, received my miserable bundle with contempt, threw down some gold pieces, and ordered the coachman to drive to the most fashionable hotel. The house faced the north, and I had not the sun to fear. I dismissed the driver with gold, caused the best front rooms to be assigned me, and shut myself up in them as quickly as I could. What thinkest thou I now began? Oh, my dear Chamiso, 
to confess it even to thee makes me blush. I drew the unlucky purse from my bosom, and with a kind of desperation which, like a rushing conflagration, grew in me with self-increasing growth, I extracted gold and gold and gold and even more gold and strewed it on the floor and strode amongst it and made it ring again and, feeding my poor heart on the splendor and the sound, flung continually more metal to metal till in my weariness I sank down on the rich heap and rioting thereon rolled and reveled amongst it. So passed the day, the evening. I opened not my door, night and day found me lying on my gold, and then sleep overcame me. I dreamed of thee. I seemed to stand behind the glass door of thy little room, and to see thee sitting there at thy work-table between a skeleton and a bundle of dried plants. Before thee laid open Haller, Humboldt, and Linnaeus, on thy sofa a volume of Goethe and the Magic Ring. Footnote. A novel by Baron de la Motte Fouque. End footnote. I regarded thee long, and everything in thy room, and then thee again. Thou didst not move. Thou drewest no breath. Thou wert dead. I awoke. It appeared still to be very early. My watch had stopped. I was sore all over. Thirsty and hungry, too. I had taken nothing since the evening before. I pushed from me with loathing and indignation the gold on which I had before sated my foolish heart. In my vexation, I knew not what I should do with it. It must not lie there. I tried whether the purse would swallow it again, but no. None of my windows opened upon the sea. I found myself compelled laboriously to drag it to a great cupboard which stood in a cabinet and there to pile it. I left only some handfuls of it lying. When I had finished the work, I threw myself exhausted into an easy chair and waited for the stirring of the people in the house. As soon as possible, I ordered food to be brought and the landlord to come to me. I fixed in consultation with this man the future arrangements of my house. He recommended for the services about my person a certain Bendel, whose honest and intelligent physiognomy immediately captivated me. He it was whose attachment has since accompanied me consolingly through the wretchedness of life and has helped me to support my gloomy lot. I spent the whole day in my room among masterless servants, shoemakers, tailors and tradespeople. I fitted myself out and purchased besides a great many jewels and valuables for the sake of getting rid of some of the vast heap of hoarded up gold, but it seemed to me as if it were impossible to diminish it. In the meantime, I brooded over my situation in the most agonizing despair. I dared not venture a step out of my doors, and that evening I caused forty wax lights to be lit in my room before I issued from the shade. I thought with horror on the terrible scene with the schoolboys, yet I resolved, much courage as it demanded, once more to make a trial of public opinion. The nights were then moonlight.
Late in the evening, I threw on a white cloak, pressed my hat over my eyes, and stole, trembling like a criminal, out of the house. I stepped first out of the shade in whose protection I had arrived there, in a remote square, into the full moonlight, determined to learn my fate out of the mouths of the passers-by. Spare me, dear friend, the painful repetition of all that I had to endure. The women often testified the deepest compassion with which I inspired them, declarations which no less transpierced me than the mockery of the youth and the proud contempt of the men, especially of those fat, well-fed fellows who themselves cast a broad shadow. A lovely and sweet girl, who, as it seemed, accompanied her parents, while they suspiciously only looked before their feet, turned by chance her flashing eyes upon me. She was obviously terrified. She observed my want of a shadow, let fall her veil over her beautiful countenance, and, dropping her head, passed in silence. I could bear it no longer. Briny streams started from my eyes, and, cut to the heart, I staggered back into the shade. I was obliged to support myself against the houses to steady my steps, and wearily and late reached my dwelling. I spent a sleepless night. The next morning it was my first care to have the man in the grey coat everywhere sought after. Possibly I might succeed in finding him again, and how joyful if he repented of the foolish bargain as heartedly as I did. I ordered Bendel to come to me. He appeared to possess a dress intact. I described to him exactly the man in whose possession lay a treasure without which my life was only a misery. I told him the time, the place in which I had seen him. I described to him all who had been present, and added, moreover, this token. He should particularly inquire after a Dolan's telescope, after a gold interwoven Turkish carpet, after a splendid pleasure tent, and finally after the black chargers, whose story, we know not how, was connected with that of the mysterious man who seemed of no consideration amongst them, and whose appearance had destroyed the quiet and happiness of my life. When I had done speaking, I fetched out gold, such a load that I was scarcely able to carry it, and laid upon it precious stones and jewels of a far greater value. Bendel, said I, these level many ways, and make easy many things which appeared quite impossible. Don't be stingy with it, as I am not, but go and rejoice thy master with the intelligence on which his only hope depends. He went. He returned late and sorrowful. None of the people of Mr. John, none of his guests, and he had spoken with all, were able in the remotest degree to recollect the man in the grey coat. The new telescope was there, and no one knew whence it had come. The carpet, the tent were still there, spread and pitched on the selfsame hill. The servants boasted of the affluence of their master, and no one knew whence these same valuables had come to him. 
he himself took his pleasure in them and did not trouble himself because he did not know whence he had them the young gentlemen had the horses which they had ridden in their stables and they praised the liberality of mr john who on that day made them a present of them thus much was clear from the circumstantial relation of bendel whose active zeal and able proceeding although with such fruitless result received from me their merited commendation i gloomily motioned him to leave me alone i have began he again given my master an account of the matter which was most important to him i have yet a message to deliver which a person gave me whom i met at the door as i went out on the business in which i have been so unfortunate the very words of the man were these tell mr peter schlemiel he will not see me here again as i am going over sea and a favorable wind calls me at this moment to the harbor but in a year and a day i will have the honor to seek him myself and then to propose to him another and probably to him more agreeable transaction present my most humble compliments to him and assure him of my thanks i asked him who he was but he replied your honor knew him already what was the man's appearance cried i filled with foreboding and pendle sketched me the man in the gray coat trait by trait word for word as he had accurately described in his former relation the man after whom he had inquired unhappy one i exclaimed wringing my hands that was the very man and there fell as it were scales from his eyes yes it was he it was positively cried he in horror and i blind and imbecile wretch have not recognized him have not recognized him and have betrayed my master he broke out into violent weeping heaped the bitterest reproaches on himself and the despair in which he was inspired even me with compassion i spoke comfort to him assured him repeatedly that i entertained not the slightest doubt of his fidelity and sent him instantly to the port if possible to follow the traces of this singular man but in the morning a great number of ships which the contrary winds had detained in the harbor had run out bound to different climes and different shores and the gray man had vanished as tracelessly as a dream end of chapter 2